Hello everyone, welcome to the History of Middle-Earth podcast where we dive deep into the history of Middle-Earth. My name is Phil and I will be your guide for today's adventure back to Middle-Earth. Today's episode is brought to you by my good friend Jen Shepard. To start us off today, we're going to be going over this week in Middle-Earth history. Starting with today, October 20th, it's a Tuesday. We have wounded Frodo finally making it to Rivendell after being stabbed by the Witch King, and Gandalf and Elrond defeat the Ringwraiths at the Ford of Bruinen. Thursday, Bilbo finds and opens the secret door to Erebor. Friday, Smaug attacks Lake Town and is later defeated. And Saturday, coming back up to the year 3019, Frodo regains consciousness and Boromir finally arrives in Rivendell for the Council of Elrond after his 110 day long journey. Speaking of Boromir, he is our main topic for today, so with that we're going to dive right into Boromir's history. Boromir was born in the Third Age of 2978 and was the oldest of Denethor II's two sons. He was five years older than his younger brother, Faramir. To say Boromir was beloved by his father would be the understatement of the year. He was like his father in looks and pride, but in little else. Boromir's temperament was similar to that of King Aranur of old. He took no wife and was more interested in arms and warfare than anything else. He cared little for lore, save for the tales of old battles. Boromir and his brother Faramir were of the House of Huron, meaning they were of Numenorean blood. Although just slightly further removed from the line than a chieftain such as Lord Aragorn. So basically, what had happened was, in the beginning of their history, the Dúnedain, including those of Gondor, were blessed with a lifespan three times that of lesser men, yet this ever diminished over the course of the Third Age. The Third Age marked the beginning of the waning of the Dúnedain, in which their gifts of wisdom, nobility, and long life were slowly withdrawn due to the downfall of Númenor and their mingling with lesser men. After Gondor's numbers were replenished by lesser Northmen after the Kinstrife, the mingling did not at first hasten the waning of the Dúnedain, as had been feared, but it still proceeded little by little as it had before. However, after the fall of kings, the waning was much more swift in Gondor than in Arnor. In fact, Hador, the seventh ruling steward of Gondor, was the last Gondorian to live 150 years, and after his time, the lifespan of those with Numenorean blood waned more rapidly. By the time of the War of the Ring, the lifespan of Gondorians had waned to little greater than that of lesser men. Only a very few among the Gondorians passed 100 years with vigor, except in the more pure and noble houses. Unfortunately for Boromir, he was killed in combat at the age of 41. However, his brother Faramir did live to the age of 120 due to his Numenorean descent. Upon the reunification of the two kingdoms, the lifespan of all the Dúnedain, including those of Gondor, was not restored and continued to wane until it became as that of other men. Boromir was a man of great strength and valor. He had a fair and noble face, dark-haired and gray-eyed, proud and stern of glance. 
and he was one of the nine who played a large part in helping take the ring to Mordor. Between the two brothers, there was great love and had been since childhood when Boromir was the helper and protector of young Faramir. Boromir was only 10 years old when their mother, Fenduiles, died, and after her death, their father became grim and remote. Boromir grew to be one heck of a warrior, interested in arms, warfare, and tales of old battles, and would serve as a commander to the military of Gondor. On the evening before Sauron's attack on Osgiliath, Faramir had a dream. A similar dream came to Boromir as well. Both Boromir and Faramir could understand little of these words, therefore they spoke to their father, who was wise in the lore of Gondor. But he could only say that Rivendell, which is known as Imladris to them, was a dale in the far north where the half-elven Lord Elrond lived. The following day, when Sauron attacked Osgiliath at the dawn of the War of the Ring, Boromir was commander. His company drove back the orcs and held the last bridge, and eventually they destroyed the bridge behind them to prevent the orcs from crossing back over the river again. Boromir goes on to say, quote, In that dream, I thought the eastern sky grew dark and there was a growing thunder, but in the west a pale light lingered, and out of it I heard a voice, remote but clear, crying, Seek for the sword that was broken, and in Ladris it dwells. There shall be counsel taken, stronger than Morgul's spells. There shall be shown a token that doom is near at hand, or Isildur's bane shall waken, and the halfling forth shall stand. End quote. Regarding the brother's earlier dream, Faramir was eager to seek Imladris. However, since the way was full of doubt and danger, and not getting the blessing of his father, Boromir took the journey upon himself. He loves you, father. Do not trouble me with Faramir. I know his uses, and they are few. We have more urgent things to speak of. Elrond of Rivendell has called a meeting. He will not say why, but I have guessed its purpose. It is rumored the weapon of the enemy has been found. The One Ring. Sildur's Bane. And it has fallen into the hands of the elves. Everyone will try to claim it. Men, dwarves, wizards, we cannot let that happen. My place is here with my people, not in Rivendell. Would you deny your own father? There's need to go to Rivendell. Send me in his stead. You? Oh, I see. A chance for Faramir, Captain of Gondor, to show his quality. I think not. 
I trust this mission only to your brother, the one who will not fail me. Boromir's journey took 110 days. He passed through the Gap of Rohan and traveled north through the lands west of the Misty Mountains. He faced many hardships for that land had fallen into decay and the north-south road had no longer actually existed except for crumbling remains of the old causeways. Near Tharbad, he crossed the Grey Flood using, dangerous ford, using a dangerous ford formed by a ruined bridge and unfortunately lost his horse during this. The rest of the way he traveled was then on foot. Fortunately for him, he was already over halfway there. When he reached Rivendell, he attended the Council of Elrond, where representatives from races in the lands of the Westlands spoke about the current situations. Boromir spoke about the Council of Gondor's vigilance and the struggle to keep the forces of Mordor from crossing the Anduin. However, he said that he had not come seeking military aid, but counsel. When he told of the dream that had led him to Rivendell, the answers to its riddles were revealed. Aragorn brought out the shards of Narsil, and Frodo Baggins held up the one ring that was Isildur's bane. There he attempted to persuade the council to let him take the one ring to Gondor so that it could be used in the defense of the realm. But Elrond explained that the ring could not be used, for even though it is used for the purpose of doing good, it would still twist all deeds and intentions to evil in the end. Do not ask your pardon, Master Elrond. For the black speech of Mordor may yet be heard in every corner of the West. The ring is altogether evil. It is a gift. A gift to the foes of Mordor. Why not use this ring? Long has my father, the steward of Gondor, kept the forces of Mordor at bay. By the blood of our people are your lands kept safe. Give Gondor the weapon of the enemy. Let us use it against him. You cannot wield it. None of us can. The One Ring answers to Sauron alone. It has no other master. And what would a rage in your eyes? It was Bormir's intention to return to Minas Tirith. Therefore, he joined the Fellowship of the Ring. When the Company of the Ring reached Caradhras, Bormir advised that each of them should carry a small bundle of wood to burn. This ended up saving the company from freezing to death when they got caught in the blizzard on Caradhras. The next morning, Boromir and Aragorn plowed their way through the snow and carried the four hobbits back down the mountain to safety. As the Redhorn Pass was now blocked, Boromir proposed that they should travel southward on the west side of the Misty Mountains and then either pass through the Gap of Rohan or cross the Isen and go through the south southern lands of Langstrand and Lebanon. But Gandalf opposed this, saying that because of Saruman's treachery, those lands were no longer safe. He proposed that the company should instead go through the mines of Moria, while Boromir said that he would not go that way, not unless the whole company voted against him. Boromir eventually agreed, but upon reaching the doors of Durin, he was angry that Gandalf did not know the password, and he threw a stone into the dark water. This then alerted the Watcher in the water. When Gandalf stepped into the mines, the Watcher attacked Frodo, but all the company were able to escape into the mines unharmed. 
Boromir fought valiantly when the company was attacked in the chamber of Marzar Bull, and he blocked the western door and hewed at the arm of a cave troll. After escaping from the chamber, the company reached the bridge of Khazad-dûm, where they were again attacked by orcs, and with them was a Velrog. Boromir sounded his great horn, which caused their enemies to pause, but then continued to advance. As Gandalf fought with the Balrog, Boromir and Aragorn ran towards him, but just as they reached the crossing, Gandalf shattered the bridge, and the Balrog fell into the abyss, dragging Gandalf in as well. Aragorn then led the company towards Lothlorien. Boromir advised against this, saying that the woods had a perilous reputation in Gondor, and that few escaped unscathed. Aragorn replied that only those who were evil or brought evil with them had a reason to fear Lothlorien. After Galadriel had spoken to each member of the company in their thoughts, Vormir was keen to know about the conversation between the lady and the ringbearer, but what he had thought that the lady had offered him, he did not tell. When the company were set to depart from Lothlorien, Galadriel gave each of them a gift, giving Vormir a golden belt. As the company set out down the Anduin, Boromir shared a boat with Merry and Pippin. As they traveled down the river, Boromir became increasingly consumed with thoughts of the ring. He muttered to himself and bit his nails and sometimes paddled closer to Frodo's boat. His behavior made Merry and Pippin uneasy, and Pippin noticed a strange glint in Boromir's eye as he looked at Frodo. As the company approached the rapids of Sarngabir, it was Boromir who alerted them and they were able to turn back. Boromir then advised the company to leave the river and strike a westward and southward road to Gondor. But Frodo did not intend to go to Gondor, hence the company continued on their way down the river. When the company reached Nenhithowel, it was time for the company to decide their next course. When Frodo wandered off into the forest to think, Boromir followed him after a while. He tried to persuade Frodo to bring the ring to Minas Tirith. As Boromir spoke, the lure of the ring grew stronger in him. He envisioned himself as a mighty king who would overthrow Sauron and lead Gondor to victory and glory. When Frodo refused to accompany him to Minas Tirith, Boromir became enraged and tried to take the ring from Frodo by force. Frodo put the ring on and vanished, and Boromir was overwhelmed with the realization of what he had just done. He wept and called for Frodo to return, but it was too late. None of us should wander alone. You least of all. So much depends on you. Frodo? I know why you seek solitude. You suffer. I see it day by day. You sure you do not suffer needlessly? There are other ways, Frodo. Other paths that we might take. I know what you would say. And it would seem like wisdom, but for the warning in my heart. Warning? Against what? We're all afraid, Frodo. Let that fear drive us to destroy what hope we have. Don't you see? That is madness. There is no other way. 
I ask only for the strength to defend my feet. If you would but lend me the ring. No. Why do you recoil? I am no thief. You are not yourself. What chance do you think you have? They will find you. They will take the ring. And you will beg for death before the end. Fall! <laughs> oh. Not your save by unhappy chance. It could have been mine. It should be mine. Give it to me. Give it to me. No. Give it to me. No. When Boromir returned to the company, he would only say that he had argued with Frodo and that the Hobbit had disappeared. Merry and Pippin ran off looking for their friend, and Aragorn told Boromir to follow them and guard them. Boromir did as he was asked, and when he found the Hobbits, they were surrounded by dozens of orcs. Boromir slew many of them, and the rest fled. He began to lead the Hobbits back to the campsite, but they were attacked again by at least 100 more orcs. Boromir sounded the great horn of Gondor and fought valiantly to prevent the orcs from seizing Merry and Pippin. Sadly, he was pierced by many arrows and ended up falling, unable to fight anymore, and the hobbits were taken prisoner. Boromir was still alive when Aragorn found him, and at least 20 orcs lay slain around him. Boromir still held his sword, though the blade had been broken off at the hilt and the great horn had been cloven in two. Boromir told Aragorn that he had tried to take the ring from Frodo. Then there, on February 26, 3019, at the base of the tree, Boromir took his last breath. Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli laid Boromir's body in one of the boats. His shattered horn and sword was laid across his lap, and the weapons of his enemies were laid at his feet. Aragorn and Legolas sang a lament for Boromir while they set his funeral boat adrift down the Anduin. The river then carried Boromir's body over the falls for Rauros. Three nights later, Faramir was sitting by the banks of the Anduin in Osgiliath when he saw, or even envisioned, a boat float past him on the river. Faramir had heard the great horn sounding in the distance when Boromir was in need and now he saw his brother's body laid out in the boat. But the great horn was missing. The two halves of the horn were later washed ashore, and they were returned to Denethor. It was said that the boat bearing Boromir's body was borne down the Anduin and out into the Great Sea. Boromir was named after Boromir, the steward of Gondor, from before, and Boromir is mentioned to be one of the few Gondorian names of mixed forms, containing both Quenya and Sindarin elements. It had been suggested that Boromir consists of Sindarin, Boro, meaning steadfast, and Quenya, Mir, meaning jewel. 
As for his gear, Boromir carried a heavy, broad longsword that was not easy to wield with one hand. Thankfully, his rage and sheer strength was able to let him maneuver the blade with ease, dealing powerful blows to his enemies. At the widest point, the blade was over three inches across and had a flattened diamond-shaped insection in equally wide fuller to help keep the weight to a more manageable level. The fuller did, did end a bit short of the tip to help keep the weight at the end of the blade for those big, powerful blows. The guard showed a warrior's flourish formed from a square-edged piece of steel that had been twisted before being bent into its crescent shape. The guard shared the same shape as both his father's and brother's sword, and that of the standard Gondorian longsword. The grip was nice and wide, as to fit Boromir's hand. The pommel was an elegant yet simple piece of steel that had also carried some weight to act as a counterbalance for the blade. The scabbard was wood that was tightly wrapped in leather and that had been decorated with a crisscross leather straps down its entire length. It was finished with a steel locket and elegant steel shape that matched the shape of the pommel. It attached directly to the belt so it hung straight down. His original belt was a beautiful piece of leather that was stamped from a delicate leaf pattern. This was most likely a gift from his mother. Boromir also carried a small dagger that was very similar in design to his main sword, the main difference being that it was enhanced with bronze detailing, where the handle was wrapped in fine bronze wire instead of leather, and the pommel and guard were made from bronze. The wide knife blade also had a fuller to resemble the sword. We see this dagger only for a short second just before his death, where he throws it to take down a charging Urukai. The shield Boromir carried was only one of its kind, making him easily identifiable to his men in combat. The wood frame was dyed black with a steel boss riveted in center. There was a small handle made from the horn that was in the center. Around the edge was engraved the wings and seven stars of Gondor's heritage. When not in combat, Boromir would have slung the shield over his back by the large leather gige that was riveted to the boss and steel rim. Boromir had access to many types of armor in Minas Tirith, but would have favored Gondor's plate and mail armor that was common to see throughout the realm. We unfortunately only see him wearing this during the extended editions of the films. However, during his trip to Rivendell, he wore lighter clothes and mail so that he could use speed to his advantage to make it there in the shortest time possible, as well as outrun any group of attackers. His leggings were a soft, dark velvet and tied at the waist. His tunic was made from a soft burgundy wool and had a collar added as well as short sleeves made from thick leather. His arms from the elbow down were protected by chainmail that had been stitched to the leather sleeves. The sleeves were lined with soft gray silk under the mail to prevent chafing. Under this was a red silk robe that came down to his elbows and shins. The sleeves had stars embroidered with golden wire that also was on the collar as well. The robe was split near the waist to allow it to be worn on horseback. Over the silk robe, he wore a second black sleeveless robe made from thick leather. This gave him extra protection, but also allowed him to have full maneuverability for his arms. 
He wore a two-piece leather van brace on each of his forearms, made up of an inner pattern guard and an outer plate of boiled leather that had the Tree of Gondor embossed onto it, and worked in silver to stand out. On his travels to Rivendell, he wore a large cloak made from heavy, heavily embroidered burgundy velvet edged in fur and two steel clasps. Two little-known facts about Boromir. Boromir actually won the respect from his enemies. In the Two Towers, Ugluck boasts that it had been the Urukai who had, quote, slew the mighty warrior, end quote, a clear reference to Boromir. And Aomer extolled him as a rider that was worthy of being a Rohirrim. And there you have it, the history of Boromir. Next episode, we will be going over orcs, goblins, and the Urukai, and some others that you may not have heard of yet. Last bit of notes before I let you go. If you do want more content, check us out as, at MinasTirithArchives.com or our Facebook page, History of Middle Earth Podcast. We're on Instagram as well, at History of Middle Earth Pod. And you can join our Discord sor- server, which is History of Middle Earth Podcast. That's it for this week's episode. If you like it, feel free to subscribe and leave us a review to let us know how we did. If you guys have any ideas of something you want to hear, definitely let me know, and I will do what I can to get it into an episode. If you have any questions, feel free to send them in to ministeriousarchives at gmail.com. You can send them in to the Facebook page or on their website, ministeriousarchives.com. You can send them in through there as well. If you haven't already, don't forget to swing over to an unexpected podcast and listen to Ezin Lane go through a chapter-by-chapter reread. They just recently finished off the Lord of the Rings series and have now started The Hobbit. I believe they're on the third chapter, so it's not too late to join in the fun going on over there either. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you back next time. Until then, I'm your host, Phil, and you're listening to the History of Middle-Earth podcast. They took the little ones. He's down. Frodo. Where is Frodo? I let Frodo go. Then you did what I could not. I tried to take the ring from him. The ring is beyond our reach now. Forgive me. I did not see. I have failed you all. No, Boromir. You fought bravely. You have kept your honor. Leave it. It is over. The world of men will fall. And all will come to darkness. And my city to ruin. I do not know what strength is in my blood. But I swear to you, I will not let the White City fall. Our people fail. Our people. Our people.
Captain. My king. 